Imagine waking up tomorrow morning. Your vision is blurred. You struggle to find the alarm clock to shut it off. You get up and stumble your way to the bathroom. You're confused when you can't see yourself in the mirror. You could barely make out the writing on the picture on your wall that has been there for years. If you close one eye, you can see just fine. But if you close the other, it's darkness. Your adrenaline starts pumping. You can actually hear your heartbeat in your ears. As your worst fears are flooding your thoughts, you think, am I having a stroke? Am I going blind? What is happening to me? Panic starts to set in. I can't even imagine that happening to me. It would be so scary. And I have MS. Vision loss is a frightening initial symptom of 16% of people who have MS. I'm Andrea, and I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis when I was 31 years old. Welcome to This is MS, a podcast all about one of the world's most misunderstood diseases. More than anything, this podcast is about people. People who live with MS, but never let it define their lives or compromise their dreams. On this show, we'll tell their stories. On today's show, we'll be talking about a type of vision loss known as optic neuritis. Kind of sounds like something out of Transformers, doesn't it? Optic neuritis is an inflammation of the optic nerve. The inflammation can cause temporary vision loss. Even more of a strange feeling is that it typically happens in only one eye. For 25-year-old Christina, she was on the ice doing exactly what she loves most, playing hockey, when her whole world changed. I can't physically see the puck, and I know it's in my feet, but I cannot find it on the ice. Christina's vision in her right eye was blurry at first. She thought maybe it was her contacts, so she took them out and started wearing her glasses. And it kept getting progressively worse. At one point, she couldn't even clearly see her own hands in front of her face. I lost the vision in my right eye. She was terrified. At the time, her family was living about five hours away and she was all alone. She had to navigate the next steps by herself while working in Ottawa. An optometrist was the first place she went to try to figure out what was happening in her eye. They put her through some tests, checked her eye for lacerations, and when they couldn't give her a definite answer, she was referred to the Ottawa Hospital Research Institute. It was there that they confirmed she had a swollen optic nerve. Now, not everyone who experiences optic neuritis goes on to develop further symptoms of MS, but there's a significant amount of people who do. So did Christina have MS? Before it could be confirmed, she underwent an MRI and saw a neurologist. Her exams came up inconclusive. Even after abnormal MRI brain scan results, her doctor insisted that she have more tests before he could confirm it was in fact MS. In the meantime, in order to restore her vision, she was put on a large dose of prednisone. I asked Christina to explain how this medication helps. So it's this heavy dose steroid. So I think it was like 2,500 milligrams. It was massive. How long did you have to take that for? 
So I was on that dose for about four days, 2,500 to 100 and then nothing. That was a two week total prescription. And your vision came back? My vision came back. A heavy dose steroid would restore the vision in her right eye. What happens next would change her life forever. After a six-month process, Christina would hear the words from her doctor. The words she had suspected, you have MS. It was confirmed. Anyone with MS can tell you the exact moment they found out where they were and then what they did after hearing the news for the first time. I went home and I took a shower and the, the memory I have the most is I remember reaching for my shampoo. I can see the shampoo bottle in my mind. I'm reaching for it, and that's when I broke down. I just started sobbing in the shower. You can imagine how emotional, not to mention shocking, it would be actually hearing those words, you have MS, especially when you're only 25 years old. It's an unpredictable disease that you probably don't know much about other than what you Googled. Don't ever do that, by the way. Suddenly, she had to consider how this would impact her future career, relationship, and family. Christina said the first thing she wanted to do was travel. And I remember those first few years, I tried to pack as much as I could in. And I think I overdid it a little bit. Yeah, I traveled to like 16 different countries. Now, with this type of life-altering news, it's hard not to panic and make rash decisions. One big decision she did have to make was what type of treatment option she would choose. Following her diagnosis, Christina would speak with a nurse at the Ottawa Hospital Research Institute and discuss the various treatment options available to her. Soon after her initial treatment began, though, she would experience a relapse. My entire right leg was numb down to my toes. It's that feeling that you get when your foot falls asleep. It's like pins and needles. You try to shake it out and stretch it out, but it it just doesn't wake up. In this case, it stays numb for weeks, even months. I had that experience. My entire left side went numb. A full dose of beta-serin, a self-injection medication administered every other day, would eventually restore the feeling in her leg. But she was still noticing some numbness and tingling in her right leg. Especially when I ran. I used to be a distance runner. So when I got about a kilometer or two in, I was just, my foot was numb. And every time you impact on the ground, it just shot pain right up. It's a frustrating thing to go through. She had already lost her vision and now her leg was numb. She had a consultation with her neurologist and he would send her for another MRI scan. On those scans, they would see more lesions had developed on her spinal cord and there was growth within the existing ones, which would explain the numbness and tingling sensation. It would seem as though her MS was getting worse. But here's the part in Christina's story where things take a turn for the better. She changed her medication to Tecfidera, which is an oral pill. And for the past three and a half years, it seems to be helping keep her MS symptoms from progressing. The type of MS Christina has is known as relapsing remitting MS. The MS Society of Canada defines it as unpredictable, but clearly defined relapses, also known as attacks or flare-ups, during which new symptoms appear or existing ones get worse. In the period between relapses, recovery is complete. So this means she still experiences common MS symptoms like fatigue, but those initial symptoms of vision loss and numbness have stayed in remission. 
I remember being diagnosed with MS and my whole life changed. At first, I was anxious and constantly wondering how quickly my MS would progress, if at all. You really don't know how things will change within the first year or two, and that is the most worrisome time. Even now, at 10 years post-diagnosis, I can only hope things stay the same. The question every MS patient wants to know is, what happens next? Yeah, I think that's, that's the biggest thing and the ongoing concern I have is just mm-hmm. what happens. There are so many things about MS you can't control. However, how you choose to take care of your body is your decision. Rest and diet become very important parts of your daily life. As the years go by too, you gain a better understanding of what you need to do on a daily basis to continue to function properly. One of the changes Christina has made to her schedule is to get proper rest. She will go to bed early, even if that means having a partner stay up much later than you. But you know, if you don't get enough sleep, you will wake up and be exhausted the entire day. This is all part of the journey of having MS. So I've started to pick up on how my body needs to rest and when it needs to rest. That's one thing I've had to really change and diet for sure. You have MS, you're learning about your body, you're learning when you need to rest. I asked Christina if she ever thought about backing off some of the high-intensity activities she competes in, like hockey and dodgeball, and her answer was no, never. She's strong, capable, and still very active. It's important to her overall well-being to stay stimulated. She also really just enjoys being a team player and the social part of playing sports. One thing that impressed me about Christina is that she's an advocate for her own health. She's not afraid to speak up and demand answers from experts when something doesn't look or feel right. She always wants to know what is happening to her body and what she can do to keep herself healthy. I think this is an important part of early diagnosis. You need to be not aggressive, but you need to be firm and you need to be assertive and you have to Not necessarily know what questions to ask, but you need to know when you're happy with an answer. Christina's story is encouraging for young women diagnosed with the disease. Now 30, she works as an administrative coordinator at her local university with the hopes of one day becoming an academic counselor. She would like to see more of the world after traveling a good portion of Europe early in her diagnosis. Two years ago, she bought her first home dream come true of being able to provide for herself. She's happy in her current relationship with her boyfriend, and they live together along with their two cats, Thor and Loki. It's the boyfriend who likes Avengers. (laughs) She keeps doing what she loves, despite the nagging fear of what the future might hold. After being diagnosed at 25 with a disease that has no cure, she continues to stay positive. Getting MS was out of my control. How I live with it and how I carry it is in my control. Live my life for me. Mm-hmm. And the biggest thing I say is you cannot live in your disease. You cannot sit and wallow in it. That really drags you down. Instead, it's something that it's always going to be with you and you carry it. And it's how you carry it. I'm going to carry it forward and I'm going to live as, as best as I can. Talk about not living in your disease. Along with thousands of other Canadians, she takes part in the annual MS Bike Tour. Riding over 150 kilometers on her bicycle to raise money and awareness for MS. 
getting involved in the MS bike ride, it's I'm more promoting the awareness of MS. It supports so much. It supports community, assistive devices and education and different things that people living with MS need access to. Um, but then it also supports research grants and funding. For the past three years, Christina has consistently been one of the top 100 fundraisers, raising thousands of dollars. Every year she rides alongside her dad. This summer was going to be her fourth bike tour. Due to the COVID-19 pandemic, this year's PWC MS Bike Tour has gone virtual. The virtual MS Bike experience means this summer you can ride however you choose and connect with the MS Bike community online. Saturday, July 25th is the virtual ride date for Grand Bend to London, Ontario, the tour in Christina's area of the country. I know she will be out on her bike that day, right beside her dad, helping to change the future of MS. The MS community will be there to fully support her and thousands of others through every kilometer of their journey. I'd like to thank my guest, Christina, for opening up about her life and sharing information about a common symptom of MS. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to This Is MS so you never miss an episode. While you're there, don't forget to rate and review us. You can listen for free on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere you find your favorite new podcasts. This Is MS, created with support from the MS Society of Canada. A proud presentation of the Curious Cast Podcast Network. Thanks again for listening. Until next time. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone. Like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.